welcome to a new episode of ArtCast. Today we are joined by a very special guest, David Schneider. David is the resident vocal teacher here at the Gateway Arts Council, and today he is going to be talking about his musical journey, how the pandemic has affected the studio and the transitions he had to make because of it, and all the exciting things that he does in his studio. Enjoy this episode with special guest, David Schneider. joining us, David. This is kind of a special treat for us. David is, in case you don't know, he's our vocal instructor here at the Arts Council. He has his own studio and he has, thankfully, he has it here. We always enjoy that. So I want to talk a little bit today about your background, how you got into music, your education, um, your students. So let's just start with how you got into music, because I don't think that was your first path, was it? Yeah, I think it was. was actually, it? it actually was. Yeah, uh, uh, I was uh, someone who took piano lessons when I was a, a little guy up through high school. Uh, I had an elderly teacher that had like fifty students in her piano studio, and, and I guess as a young woman, she had been on vaudeville. Oh wow! And and yeah, that's uh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, so she she was. Maybe she wasn't as old as I remembered her being. <laughs> she, she, she seemed ancient. old to me, but yep. anyway, but yeah, she had been in vaudeville as a young woman, and um, and then uh, we moved when I was nine, and so the, I, we moved to Bell Fountain at that time, and so the the choir director at the high school there had his master's in piano that he just completed and was taking students on, so I studied with him through uh, elementary, middle school, and high school. Wow. And was not interested in singing at all until high school. And I got into high school, and he saw me in the hallway and said, why aren't you in choir? And I said, yes, sir. And joined joined choir because he told me to. And and that's how I learned to like singing. But when you went to college, did you go for voice? uh, Originally, it was going to be piano. Really? It was going to be piano, and then I realized I was not as good as some of the people playing pianos, and so I, I switched to voice at that time. Um, I think the mistake I would, did was I should have kept both of them up because where do I spend all my time now? At I, the piano. At the piano with voice I can I can say that's true. He does spend all his time at the piano. And so I wish I was a better pianist, so that was, uh, that was one of those regrets. I should have kept both of them up through college. Now, did you start at Ohio State? Because I know that's... No, where... I was, I, my undergrad was a little Mennonite college, Goshen College in northern Indiana. Now... Did you get your degree in music? I got a degree there in music, yes. Because I think that, don't you also have a seminary? Yeah, and then following college, um, I was kind of at loose ends, and I was going to go to a year of seminary before I went on to grad school. And like being there, there were a lot of musicians there when I was there. We did a lot. So I kind of joined some, the theological interest and the musical interest kind of got joined there. And... um, and they paid for it. They, the scholarship kind of it was one of the few times wow. in life where the, wow. the several sources paid for my tuition. And the only thing I did not have paid for was room and board. So I got a church music job in town. And ironically, it paid almost exactly what I did for room and board. Oh, my gosh. That's so crazy. it was one of those very f- few moments in life where everything kind of came together. 
And so a year turned into three years. I, I had the wow. church music job for three years, and I completed a seminary degree while I was there with really no career aspirations on it, just other than I was, enjoyed being there. It was a good place to be. And well, that's kind of interesting because, I, I mean, an aside is I do believe you're going to be helping out the church next door to us. In yes, the yes. So they, I'm gonna be pre- things... I, 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 I'm going to be preaching and, as well as doing music for them <laughs> for that the Sundays I'm there. So for all of you who think that anything you learn is ever wasted, it's not. You, it does come back so that you <laughs> it can It does it. come back, yes. But then you went to Ohio State, and yeah. I believe you have a master's in conducting plus, right? Yeah, I went there to do a conducting degree in choral conducting, and I wanted to get a voice teacher when I was there, and the way Ohio State was set up at that time probably still is, that you had to be in one of the voice degree programs to get a professor. Otherwise, you'd get a teaching associate. And I was a graduate student, so I wanted a a professor. So they said, you need to audition for our Master of Arts in Vocal Pedagogy to get a voice teacher. So I did that. And the the degrees overlap by about a third. So I I was basically working on two degrees at once and and I, I finished the work for the pedagogy degree before the conducting so I I got a pedagogy degree in voice when I was there and um, went back later after a couple of years and got uh, some work done on the doctorate in performance and so and when I was doing that the choir director there said you know if you just do a recital you can get a master's in conducting Oh so, wow! So I, that was during my doctoral work. I I did did a, a recital and, in conducting, and and then now I know we've had this conversation before. Do you think you'll ever finish your doctorate? I don't know. I'd like to, but I don't know if there's any reason to. I mean, it, uh, it would yeah, have to I be the that. right circumstances to go back and, and right. do that. But I would like to, but. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think I can speak for going back when you're past a certain age. It's an awful lot of fun. <laughs> really kind of messes with the heads of the students, but it's cool. Yeah, I don't know what they would think about uh, older middle-aged men doing that in their <laughs> I department. Don't know, but you can find out. I think the sky's the limit. I, I'm not one of those who believes that when you reach a certain age, your life ends or you're no longer certain things aren't open to you i don't believe that at all i think age is just a number and you know sometimes i think you can do things a lot more meaningfully at a at an older age i would have very different goals at this stage i think if i did do that i it would be more important to focus on the pedagogy of the different voice types and how you approach that that and new ways to approach teaching and uh, the mechanics of the voice much is much more of an interest to me okay. now than it was. I don't have any great aspirations to be a, a performer as such. I, I enjoy teaching more and performing, actually. Yeah. And yeah, that makes sense. And so I would approach it very differently. And uh, the politics of the department when I was there were, were a little onerous. And yeah. I, I enjoyed my voice teacher, but... The department itself had its own set of challenges. It had a life into itself. (laughs) Yes. But you did do quite a bit of performing with choral groups. 
Yes, I, I, when, that was one of the good things about the doctoral program I was in. Uh, at that point, Robert Shaw had a choral institute that was was sponsored by Ohio State and Boston University and okay. UCLA. The three schools sponsored it. And um, Robert Shaw had, and his wife had a chateau in southern France. To, to cut. She was trying to get him to slow down at uh. 78 years old. And, and so they decided to have a choral institute there. And so for three weeks, they got to sing with some of the best singers, choral singers. In are, southern France. In southern France. And we did concerts and we made two recordings with the Telarc label. It was a very mountaintop experience. I was going to say, I I don't know that you could top that one at all. No, and he passed away a couple of years after that. So it was one of those once in a lifetime If you hadn't done it, you'd have missed it. I would have missed it, yes. And then didn't you also, there were other groups you performed with, I thought. Yeah, when I when I left school, my wife was in library school at the time, so I had a a day job doing music sales, at, in Columbus at Stanton Sheet Music, yep. and so um, that was my day job, and it had health care benefits, which was good. And so in the evenings, I sang chorus with Opera Columbus and Columbus Light Opera and Cantari singers, and most of the groups were all the same people and for a while we had the same director for all of them so uh, it was it was fun I would go over to the uh, theater in the rehearsal space uh, just down the block from where I worked and then I'd spend the evening singing glorious opera music and and that was a lot of fun and yeah. it's not a full-time living but it was a good side living and, and do you miss that I do, I do. I think that, but I think there are different seasons of life that we have. Yeah. That, that was a season of life where I was doing more performing, and my wife and I were just married, and we didn't have kids. Right, and that, that's a big... And that's a big change, and so when, when we moved to Lima, uh, the choir director at Sydney High School, Frank Farr, I had met him, he, he used to come into Stanton's, and I told I him I was how you met him. Yeah, and I and I told him I was moving the line, and he said, "Well, if you come teach some of my students, I'll give you all the students you want." Frank, that that's just and that's he Frank. is a, he was a good salesman, and the first year we had thirty students, mostly middle school and high school. Really, mostly Sydney kids, and then a few smattering of other schools as well. And the second year, I think we had close to fifty. Wow. And, yeah, I did that for a number of years until he retired. And then I ended up coming back after several years again. Uh, I took a little bit of break when the, the kids started school. And, right. Because someone had to pick them up from school. <laughs> someone had, and you, but on top of this, you also are the music director at your church, correct? Yes, I've been there since 1997. So it's not like you're sitting around. <laughs> No, and I've been the freelancer. My wife works for OSU Lima, and she's a faculty uh, right. of OSU High State, and so she's the one that has the. You're the one that can get out and about a little bit more. Yeah, she she has she has the stability of of, of faculty status with health care and, and all the pensions and all those things, and and so I've I've focused on my teaching and church music work. 
But now, I think you came back down here, and I know before the pandemic hit, you had, what, a studio of, again, 50 kids or so? Before the pandemic hit, yeah, we were up to 50 again. It seemed like, and I think the economy was doing well, and, you know. Yeah, I and think. And so, uh, yeah, it was really hopping. But your studio's changed a little bit. I mean, I think from just having Sydney children, you now have expanded across the county quite a bit. Yes, there are several districts within in the studio now, as well as you know adults that come in. That's right. And um, yeah. And I think that's something that the adults should know. It's never too late to learn how to sing. I mean, I know of one adult that you had that just came because she wanted to learn how to sing for her father. Yes. As an adult. I mean, you, so it's never too late to learn. So if you've had this deep desire to learn how to sing, you can come take a lesson. I think my next question is, and this is one I've always wondered about, how do you get someone to make the right sound? I mean, you hear a note, and how do you get them to have that note come out the same as what you're playing? So you play a C. How do you get them to sing a C? I think several different approaches. I think um, a lot of it's just mechanics, getting your voice to get in the right slots of where it needs to go. And there's muscle memory. Huh. And the other side of it is, as a singer, you have to train your ears to hear things. And sometimes people learn the hearing part first. Sometimes people hear, they do the mechanics first. Interesting. So if you hear something on a radio, and I, I think we've talked about this too, sometimes you sing what you hear on the radio and it may not be what that song is actually supposed to sound like. Not necessarily. I, I can always tell my students that sing to the radio, I think it's, it's sometimes a little harder to get their voice into the right grooves on that because they, they develop habits Okay. Of, of trying to imitate somebody. And the other thing with it's interesting teaching voice is that what we hear inside our head is not what others hear outside of us. Okay, that's... And that's pretty, really, earth-shattering. That I was just about to say, I really got to think about that one here for a minute. So what I'm hearing is not necessarily what Seth is hearing or you're hearing. Yes, so it's an example as you know how how many times do you hear people say I hate to hear a recording of my voice speaking. Oh, I understand that. Because it doesn't sound like you, does it? No. No, you're right. It doesn't. It isn't in my mind what I sound like. And so particularly around what we call tone color or the the you know whether our voice is dark or bright interesting is you know what we hear inside our head is not what is outside of us so how how do you get a student to get past what they're hearing to produce what someone else will hear i mean part of it you have to have a sense of trust that you trust the other person that what they're hearing is accurate Okay, wow. <laughs> you, know, you know, I think that that seems like often is the first you thing. You hope then for a really educated audience, correct? Well, in a sense, but I think, I think just even to tell somebody, you know, your voice is very dark and you need to brighten it up. In other words, to get it, the sound more forward 
in your face to get it what we call brighter. And at the same time, there are some voices that are very bright. You know, it's very forward sounding. And to get it a little darker, get some more depth in it, you're you're going to have to lift the back of the throat more to get more space I'm in the back. I'm over here trying to. What does that mean? Yeah, and that's you know, and that's you know, and some students can follow those kind of directions, and some. It just, well, I mean, I mean, it just, I would it be just, one of those. It just, it, you know, I have some students where they, they, I don't get it. Yeah, I'm over here trying to picture. What does that mean? How would I do that? And how, you know, now, give an example of. Can you think of someone that would be we would all know that has a bright voice? A singer or a, anybody that's voice is really bright, or or conversely, one that's pretty dark that people might know just to understand what bright and dark means in a voice. You mean you want me to sing? No, 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 no that's like you don't want to hear me sing. No, no, I was thinking about, oh, I don't know, some popular singer. This popular singer has a very bright voice. This popular singer has a very dark voice. Or it's just um, so people can kind of get the difference. I'm going to make him think. Yeah, you're making me think now. Madonna, I think, has a very bright voice. Okay, okay. Um, I'm trying to think who would have a, a darker voice. Um, yeah, in a sense, Johnny Cash would. Johnny yeah. Cash. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I can. I mean, I can, in my head, I can even hear the difference between the two. That that's, you know, so maybe Johnny. Someone should have told Johnny to get a little brighter voice. I I don't. I, I think I think it it sounds darker because it's very deep. Uh, I think. Well, I, okay, that makes sense to yeah. me. So you would have if you have a very deep voice, it would seem to me that you would have to pay a little more attention to brightening it up. Which which is for me that I, I'm a bass. Okay. And what I hear in my head seems really bright, and usually I have to really brighten the sound up, particularly low in my range, so okay. it, it doesn't sound what I call woofy. Oh, that's an interesting term. Is that a technical term? Yeah, that's a technical term. <laughs> we'll go with that. Okay, woofy. good. Yeah. That's a new one. I'm going to have to learn that one. I don't want to sound woofy. Uh, but mostly so that every sound in your voice matches the same color. So everything, make it sound like it's all out of the same voice. Wow. I, okay, let's, I'm just processing. I have a daughter who's a musician, and I know how hard they work on she plays the flute on getting the sound. And I know that sometimes when you talk about someone who sings, you don't realize that that level of training is also necessary for your voice. Yeah. I mean, I think some, some voices are very natural ones. You know, I don't have to mess with it much. And then there, there are some that I basically am creating a voice out of them. And they don't know it's in them, but it is. Okay, that's what I find intriguing. I, that to me, and I know that you have one student in particular, and I know the difference in what she sounds like when she started and what she sounds like now, and that's just intriguing to me because I'm not sure she thought she could do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's why I would encourage people, if they want to learn how to sing, don't hesitate to come take a lesson. I mean... Try it out. Try it out because... Yeah. Everybody has a voice, and it's really nice to be able to actually use it. Yeah. Which yeah, I think yeah, is... Yeah. Now, I'm going to change this conversation a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about your studio. And I know you have had... Excuse me. You have had 
several of your students over the years do quite famous things, actually. Can yeah, you talk I, a little I bit about there, those? Yeah, I always said there's something in the water in Sydney. I, I, I can't quite figure it true. out, but uh, uh, I have a former student that has an international opera career. I think, you know. I think that is pretty awesome. I mean, didn't he also sing with the New York Met for a while? He's been at the Met, I think, at least two or three times, I think. Yeah. I mean... And he, he won the Carnegie Prize when he was 25. And uh, yeah, he just, it's an amazing voice. Well, and I'm sure that the amazing teacher had something to do with that too. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I've started him out and others have continued along that path to bring him to where he is. It, it, it's, it's kind of a relay. You hand, you hand a student off to somebody else and they, and they, they continue on. I, I, I sent him to my voice teacher high state who did marvelous things with him and he sent him along to the next teacher and and now he has this international career that is it's a marvelous career yes i mean I, and i think for people who think that where you live matters it doesn't no no not really no i mean i think if you find the right teachers and you want to go where you need to go you will and you, you're ready for those opportunities when they come. And and you have another one, I think, too, who's... Yes, yes. Uh, um, and she's had... Um, I'm trying to th I think she's gone through all the apprenticeship programs, and now she's doing more roles professionally. It, it's, it's a long road to a professional voice career, and um, she sings beautifully, and... Uh, she was an understudy at the Met, so yeah. Well, so. that's really. I mean, I guess that that don't get discouraged. I mean, every everything takes a certain amount of work, which, and I think that's kind of been the theme through a lot of these podcasts is that people don't realize that in art, there's a path, there's a certain amount of training, there's a certain. As I always put it, there's a science behind every art. There and is. Art there is science. There is, uh, but I just think God blesses some voices. That well, that's are, true. Know, there are some voices that are just there's a uniqueness to them that they have a certain innate ability yeah. and 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 then you take what you're given and you make it better I can no matter what of one little girl that you have that she's petite but her voice is as large as the room and she's not really that old i mean just it's amazing and that one has to be pretty natural that yeah, one's that, just a that gift is, yeah that that is a gift yes i mean and and but i've never i've never heard when i first heard her singing i thought he's got an adult in there and i don't know she's 10 maybe it was uh, not even i don't think. I think it was like it was such an interesting thing to see such a petite pretty little girl and this great big voice yeah wow yeah. So I can only, it'd be exciting to see where she goes with that. Yes, yes. So your current studio, I mean, I know the pandemic put kind of a damper on it for a while, but you're back doing lessons. Yeah, well, actually, I, I kept lessons the whole time. I learned how to do Zoom lessons. Oh, yep. Uh, it's hard on the voice because uh, there's, a, there's a lag time with Zoom, and so oh. you can't you can't play along with the students on the piano because it just doesn't line up. Oh my gosh, I never thought of that. And so it's it's a lot of 
call and response and let some students can do that and some some, some just do not like it or or, or can't do it and it, it's hard it's harder on the younger ones particularly because you're, right. you're dependent more on language skills to be able to convey what they need to do and it, it's they need a little bit more hands-on and sense of of playing along with them on the piano, right. which you can't do in a, in a Zoom lesson. I, I understand. I mean, I I know that when uh, you reopened up the studio to live, I walked in one day and I heard somebody singing, and I thought I was going to cry. It was because it was live, and it's the first time in, oh, I don't think it was a year, but it was every bit of four or five months. Yes. And, and I think that we're as time goes on you're being able to bring in even more bring it back and at some point won't you bring your piano lessons yeah i actually i tried the first live piano lesson oh, really? and we i've had my shots and, and <laughs> we're ready to go and so I, I think tomorrow i'm fully vaccinated so i said well, let's try it and we both wore masks and and uh it worked out okay but uh, that was kind of an experiment to see if that could work uh, so uh, and those, those, I mean, not that I have favorites among your students, but some of those piano kids are pretty small. And so they're, it's just so much fun to see them in here. You know, they kind of trot in, and sometimes you don't even see them. I mean, you know they're there because you see the legs, but you can't see their heads above the piano. It's pretty cool. But yeah. you hear them playing. I'm glad that's back. Yeah, yeah. So I, I have a feeling that, it's going to get safer and safer for that. I do. I think so too. Yeah. You're also going to work on this year a production. We're going to try a production of Pirates of Penzance. I, it's been 20 years since I've taught that to students. And so um, we'll learn it in the studio and then we'll put it together what I call semi-stage production. We won't, we'll do simple staging and not a lot of set work and, and then Put it together sometime this summer. So I was gonna say, do you have a feel on when it'll be? I I'm thinking late July, early August, but I I don't know. What we'll see how right things, how it goes how things go with things you know with the pandemic. I, I guess that's some if that's one thing we've learned out of this pandemic, it's been that you're really flexible. We we can change dates on a dime right now. I hope that's a skill set we lose soon, but that is, you know, flexibility is something we've all learned. I think the kids are excited about this. I think so. I think they, they haven't got a chance to do as much theater as they like, and right. a lot of them that are anxious to do something. So that was part of my push to do this. I thought there, there's not been as much theater going on, but I think this summer there's probably going to be several things popping up. Well, I think the kids have to have performance experience, particularly those who want to go on a little longer, really need to have had not only performance experience, but this kind of performance experience. Yeah, and, and generally I try to do things that aren't going to be done. They'll, some of the opportunities they'll have elsewhere, and right. as, as it should right. be. But if I find things, I try to find something that they're not going to get elsewhere. So I think to do Gilbert and Sullivan operetta, it's something that they're probably not going to get a chance to do very many places. And, and I, it's something that I enjoy right. and I want to share with them. And it would help them if they decide to go into uh, music as their profession. Yes, it, I think so. Yeah. I mean, because that's the other thing. I don't know that people understand that 
there are, it's almost like a portfolio for the voice that, or in and, and instrumentals, that's also the case, is that, that if you go into college, there's an expectation that you have done certain things. Isn't that correct? Yeah, yeah. I have a son that's an instrumental major in college, and and all the honors, bands, experiences that he had, he said, I'm so glad I had those experiences uh, because a lot of the kids that come to college have had much more opportunity yeah. than, than he had, and so he really treasures that he had those experiences. Had, and for, I don't, we are considered rural area. It's great that you're going to offer some performance experiences because I, well, I'm like you. I have a daughter who is a uh, musician, so for performance experiences, we had to travel. You know, we had to go two hours for a music lesson, or we had to, you know, this ensemble was in Michigan, and this happened here, and not everybody has the um, luxury of being able to travel that much so that you're doing it here in Sydney is really a neat thing. I mean, it makes it much easier for the parents, but it gives the kids the opportunities. I'm, yeah. for one, very grateful that you're doing that. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to thank you, Dave. I'm, I mean, I've been hoping to get you on a podcast for a while. Um, I'm hoping to get some of your kids on a podcast coming up because I think it'd be really fun to hear from them what they're learning, what's exciting to them, mm-hmm. you know. And particularly as we get closer to your Pirates of Penzance, I really want to hear what they're thinking. So thanks for joining us, and we'll be back again. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back again next week with another episode of ArtCast. 